It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I found myself thinking the other day, for some obscure reason, whatever happened to HLN? You never hear about it anymore. You know, headline news used to be called, owned by CNN, fast-paced read on the headlines and so forth. So I went to the HLN homepage and wowza, uh, it still has a five-hour morning show with Robin Mead, and everything else on the page is playing up all crime all the time. I'm just going to read this to you, and you can just decide what you think. Maybe it's popular. I don't know. There's vengeance, killer families, sex and murder. You can tell which one of those is more popular. Murder Nation, real-life nightmare, lies, crimes, and video, down the hill, the Delphi murders, Forensic Files 2, Forensic Files 1, Something's Killing Me, Vengeance, Killer Coworkers, Vengeance, Killer Neighbors, Vengeance, Killer Millionaires, you know, you can also get into the rich being killers. And then, of course, there's just the, the killer truth, plus very scary people, hosted by Donnie Wahlberg, uh, the Dead Wives Club, uh, that sounds uplifting. Hell in the Heartland, Unmasking a Killer, Death Row Stories, and Inside Evil with Chris Cuomo. I'm sure people will have some fun with that title. All right, um, nobody's paying me to give all this publicity to HLM, but I mean, I was just, it was just head spinning. Is there really that much crime? That much killing? That much public interest in it? I don't know. All right. Uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos not uh, content to just take over outer space, to take over the book market, to take over uh, online retailing, uh, take over Whole Foods. Now he wants to take over department stores. And uh, my eye was caught by an item saying that the department stores that Amazon is planning will try to boost its clothing sales by offering shoppers a chance to try on its own private label brands. Well, you can do that right now. You can go on Amazon and order, you know, their jeans or their T-shirts, whatever. In technology-fueled dressing rooms, according to people familiar with the matter. Is it matter? It's a Wall Street Journal piece. Um, could open next year. Uh, T-shirts, jeans, other items, mix of outside brands. So you go into the dressing room and you can, you can use those, what are they called, QR codes that you scan uh, and put it on a smartphone app. And then you wait for somebody who works there to gather up the items for you and put them in the fitting rooms. Well, that sounds not that different than what department stores have now except for the smartphone part. But then once you're there, you could use your touchscreen or a touchscreen to ask for more items um, and perhaps they would be recommended for you based on what you already picked. You might want to wear this. Uh, and then, I don't know, I guess, you know, <laughs> Amazon sends out a team of people to say, oh, you look marvelous in that. Uh, it's so secret that it has a code name. That's my favorite part of the story. All right, a little tidbit here in the Kentucky Press about Mitch McConnell. This comes from the Woodward and Costa book. Uh, McConnell believes the Republican Party is moving away from Trumpism views the former president as a weight on his chances of reclaiming a majority in the Senate. Uh, the book quotes McConnell calling Trump a fading brand, retired, OTTB, as they say in Kentucky, off-the-track thoroughbred. Uh, sucking up to Donald Trump is not a strategy that works. 
I'll give the former president equal time in just a few moments, but I wanted to get that out there. Um, Mike Flynn, the former general who had been Donald Trump's national security advisor, got indicted for lying to the FBI. The case was later thrown out. Uh, he is out there with what might be described as a new conspiracy theory. So he was talking on an internet show. That means, well, look, there are a lot of web shows out there these days. Uh, devoted to COVID-19 election fraud and conspiracy theories, according to a former federal prosecutor who put this clip on Twitter. And Michael Flynn says um, that they, they may be trying to put out salad dressing that could contain the COVID vaccine. I'm not making this up. Uh, so where does this idea come from? Well, apparently there's a study... Uh, a legitimate study that says that in the future, instead of having to roll up your sleeve and get a shot, uh, the what's called the mRNA vaccines could be grown in edible plants such as lettuce, which would be great because they could be stored at room temperature and eaten instead of injected. There were no proposals for COVID-19 vaccines to be put into salad or its dressings. Wow. Um, this is just a fascinating little story in the Washington Post about Tucker Carlson. Uh, he's about to come out with his uh, second book for Simon & Schuster. It's called The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism. And in the opening pages of that book, so this is not sources, this is, you know, Tucker's own writing in the book. He went after his publisher, Simon & Schuster, calling the president a cartoonish corporate censor and attacking the company for, you'll remember this controversy from a few months ago, canceling a book deal with Republican Senator Josh Hawley. Now, Hawley had a signed deal to write a book on the dangers of big tech, and then came the January 6th riot, and Simon Schuster said, well, you know, Hawley was contributing to this because uh, he supported a dangerous threat to our freedom because he voted you know, not to accept Electoral College results uh, with Joe Biden as the victor, and Carlson was very critical of that, and so he says that he was contractually obligated to keep writing the long slide because he had a two-book deal, but he didn't want to do it. Uh, Carlson says in one interview um, that Simon Schuster hates me more than they've ever hated anybody and had threatened to sue him when he said he didn't want to write the book. Uh, he told Fox News, a company I was working for was doing harm, not just to one person, Josh Hawley, but to our entire system, to the idea of a free country. Uh, highly unusual situation, to say the least. Uh, more on this in that post story if you're interested. All right, getting serious here with, that, that's not serious, getting serious here with number one, the absolute humanitarian disaster, the crisis in Del Rio, Texas, more than 15,000 Haitian migrants now there, many of them living under a bridge, squalid conditions, and so forth. Here's how the New York Times frames the story. And this is why I say that this has been so damaging to President Biden, because he's getting it from both sides. The right feels vindicated. Conservatives are saying, I told you that Biden's more, quote, humane policies were going to lead to these kinds of surges. This is the second time he's had a uh, you know, five-alarm crisis at the border. The first time was when all these Central American migrants and unaccompanied children came up to the Mexico border. And now you have these Haitians, you've seen the television footage, crossing the Rio Grande, 
allowed to come into Texas, um, being really poorly treated, particularly by Border Patrol agents. Like the whole whipping story was wrong. It was just false. Uh, but there are these Border Patrol agents who are using reins to control their horses as they try to round up or move uh, these Haitian migrants. So the New York Times says the images could have come straight from former President Donald Trump's immigration playbook. Mounted Border Patrol agents rounding up desperate Haitian families at the southwestern border for rapid deportation from the United States. Well, first of all, in the Times lexicon, that is the most toxic taunt you can utter. It's from the Trump playbook. Secondly, what are they supposed to do? Let another 15,000 or 30,000 Haitian migrants come? If you don't send some of them back, and look, I understand. I sympathize with these families. Haiti has become a hellhole. I mean, between the natural disasters like the hurricane, the assassination of the president, I understand why many of them are desperate to get out. But you can't just walk across the river and be accepted by the United States, or you can, at least temporarily. Uh, Jen Psaki said these scenes were horrific, not acceptable or appropriate. Kamala Harris, who has the absolute no-win assignment of being supposedly dealing with the root causes of illegal immigration, she said, the vice president said, human beings should never be treated that way. Homeland Security says it's investigating. The deportations are a stark example, says the Times, of how Biden, who said back on February 2nd his goal was to undo the moral and national shame of the previous administration, is deploying some of the most aggressive approaches to immigration put in place by Trump. And it's kind of a no-win situation. Because by trying to be humane, Biden sent signals that, you know, all these people could come. I mean, they said, don't come, don't come. But nobody was buying that because there was no great penalty. They weren't sending unaccompanied minors back to their home countries, for example. Um, So Biden is trying to use the power of his office to enact lasting immigration change. That's been blocked by federal judges who are skeptical of his executive power. Uh, His immigration Overhauls going nowhere. The Senate parliamentarian says it can't be part of this Democratic reconciliation bill. That's never going to pass, in my view. Look, Bush couldn't get immigration reform done. Obama couldn't get it done. Trump couldn't get it done. He did his own thing. He tried to build the wall. I was going to say he built the wall, but obviously only certain sections were renovated or built. Uh, And now you have, well, for one thing, you have a lot of Black politicians really up in arms over this because Haitians are coming. Whereas you had Latino politicians and advocacy groups more upset when it was mostly Central Americans and or Mexicans. Marisa Franco, executive director of Latino civil rights organization, says the question that's being asked now is to Biden, how are you actually different than Trump? Biden's allies blame Republicans for standing in the way of needed changes because they view the border chaos on his watch as a good political issue. Well, that may be true. The GOP may be loving this. It makes the Biden administration look incompetent. It makes the Biden administration look like it's bungled it. It makes the Biden administration look bad. When you got Chuck Schumer criticizing him from the left, it looks bad. But that doesn't mean that it's not bad. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It's not manufactured. Uh, It is a real-time problem despite what I would grant are Joe Biden's good intentions. Sometimes good intentions go awry, and that is causing 
this increasingly untenable situation at the border and Biden having to use some of the Trump authority to get to deport some people or it just will spin further and further, further out of control. Now, it's interesting because you almost have the White House versus the Border Patrol because Jen Psaki is out there. Uh, she didn't just say uh, at uh, yesterday's press briefing, brutal methods. She said she watched the horrific video of CBB, Customs Border Patrol officers on horses, using brutal and inappropriate measures against innocent people, says Saki. She says there's an ongoing independent investigation that the officers were placed on administrative leave. Uh, April Ryan uh, asked Saki about the border agents using reins or whips, whatever, with the intent to lash, to hurt people, to keep them away from the border. Saki said the investigation is ongoing and that President Biden was horrified at the footage. Well, you know what? President Biden was really, I don't, I don't want to phrase it that way. I don't have any doubt that Joe Biden was horrified at the footage. But he could speak out publicly on this. He's letting Jen Psaki carry the message. Reporter got one question to him yesterday. What about this out-of-control situation at the border? Biden issued a one-sentence answer. We're going to get it under control. He don't want to talk about it because it's a mess. And so, you know, he's trying to push it down to his Homeland Security Secretary, to his press secretary. That's why you have Jen Psaki saying these things and not Joe Biden. Um, this is an example when things get really heated up, and not just on this issue. Joe Biden's, um, the periods when he doesn't take questions or takes one question and deflects, when he doesn't hold news conferences, this is when it works against him. When things are going well, the Biden low-profile strategy uh, of not being out there, not doing very many interviews, you know, compared to Trump, which, you know, for all of his war on the media, I mean, talk to journalists virtually every day. Sometimes several times a day. That's not Biden's style. It worked for him in the campaign. It worked for him maybe in the first six months. It's not working for him now. All right, number two. Let's move on to COVID. Um, I'm, the only thing I'm a little encouraged by is that the number of new cases, that daily average is coming down somewhat. 130,000 average daily new cases, not a great number, but it had gotten in this latest Delta surge up to about 166,000. But if you look at the average number of deaths today, average, more than 2,000. That's an awful, awful, awful tragic number. But maybe the deaths are a lagging indicator and the thing has peaked, and I certainly hope so. But what you have now is CDC uh, going to deal with this today. Who qualifies for the new Pfizer coronavirus booster that was approved last night by the FDA? Now, it wasn't approved for everybody, as Biden had promised. It's approved for people over 65 who got their second dose of Pfizer at least six months earlier, or for people who are at high risk of severe COVID-19 or at risk for serious complications because of exposure to the virus in their jobs. So that's thought to be about 22 million Americans. Um, but as the Times puts it, who exactly risks becoming severely ill? What does it mean to be exposed on the jobs? Do teachers count as exposed? Or just frontline health workers? What about Americans who got the Moderna or the Johnson & Johnson shots? Um, also, what's the effectiveness here? I mean, it's kind of like chicken soup. I don't think it can hurt. But a third dose ramps up uh, antibody levels, according to the experts. But it's not clear how long that lasts, whether it really translates into meaningful extra protection. So there's no answer to the scientists haven't even looked at the practicalities of endorsing a booster shot of Pfizer 
but not of Moderna. Moderna submitted its data. It wants to give out half the dosage compared to the first two shots for a person. Mixing, uh, if you already got Moderna or you already got J&J, and now you want to get the Pfizer booster, uh, it's untested ground, according to scientists. Federal agencies are always reluctant to make those kinds of moves. So these are really difficult questions. I continue to believe the FDA moves too slowly on this stuff. And if the booster doesn't do any harm, why wouldn't you prioritize over 65 people with, you know, special vulnerability because of other pre-existing conditions or frontline workers, however you want to define that, and then say once all of the, because look, these places, the vaccine centers, the CVSs of the world, they're not exactly being overrun right now. We have enough doses. We're sending doses to countries around the world that are desperately needed. But we have enough doses, including the booster shots. So why wouldn't the FDA say, okay, or or the CDC can say, prioritize people in these special groups, these special vulnerable groups, and then anybody who wants it, who's already been had a six-month lapse, can get it. Or, you know, you can only get, if you had Pfizer, you can get it, and then when Moderna is approved. I don't get it. It just seems to me to be more bureaucratic caution, and it's making Biden look bad because he gave that speech, and he said on September 20th, that's earlier this week, every American who wants a booster shot will be able to get it, except then the scientists dissented. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, number three, this absolute mess on the Hill. Uh, I touched on this yesterday. The Democrats, uh, there's such uh, severe infighting now between the Democratic, quote, air quote, progressives and the, quote, moderates, that they may not get anything. I mean, in the end, look, in the end, it's a suicide pact if they don't get anything. Remember, this is the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. 17 Republican senators voted for it. And then there's the $3.5 trillion, what I call the wish list bill, climate change, health care, expand Medicare, a whole bunch of other stuff, free pre-K, free community college, you know, all worthy goals, but $3.5 trillion. So Joe Manchin is saying, I'm not going to vote for $3.5 trillion. So it looks inevitable that that number is going to come down to what? I don't know, $2.5 trillion, $2 trillion. Even if you did that and you combine it with the, the bipartisan bill, you'd have $3 trillion, half the federal budget in new spending. Well, things got so bad that Biden had to get involved. So yesterday he had a whole series of meetings with congressional leaders, congressional Democrats, trying to sort of break this impasse. Um, moderates want quick action, and they were promised quick action by the end of this month, I believe, on the trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill. But along come some of these House liberals and say, ah, we're not even going to think about voting for that unless you guarantee us that we do both bills at the same time. Here's John Podesta, who is a top official in the Bill Clinton White House, in the Barack Obama White House, setting out a memo to all congressional Democrats. You are either getting both bills or neither And the prospect of neither is unconscionable. It would signal a complete and utter failure of our democratic duty and a reckless abdication of our responsibility. It would define our generation's history and show that when our time came, we failed. Now, are the Democrats, for all their disagreements, going to allow... Essentially, it would mean that nothing else Biden tries to do will work on the Hill. It would really mean if not the collapse of the Biden presidency, you know, such an overwhelming failure that you could just write off 2022. So Biden went to these members of these different wings and said, look, why don't you come up with a number that both sides could support 
Find a number that you're comfortable with, this is, I guess, according to sources, based on what you believe the needs that we still have are, and how do we deliver to the American people? This is Joe Manchin, actually, not an anonymous source, describing the president's request. He was very straightforward in what he asked us to do. And how much of that can you pay for with taxes that could maybe get some votes? Because obviously raising taxes, even though it's on the wealthy and corporations, is a tough thing to do on Capitol Hill. Meanwhile, you have this debt ceiling fiasco. Mitch McConnell, who when, when Trump was in office said, we absolutely have to pass the debt ceiling. But remember, this is a kabuki dance, fiscal cliff. Of course, the government's not going to default or it'll go into technical default for a couple of days. And then, you know, it starts costing a lot of money to shut the government down, to tell the federal workers to stay home. It's a mess. And it's happened way too many times. So now, yesterday, McConnell says, don't play Russian roulette with the economy. Step up and raise the debt ceiling. But you got to do it without any Republican votes because I want you to own it. So he, he, he acknowledges the importance of it. And he says to the Dems, it's your problem. And the Dems are furious. Hardball Republican tactics. By the way, National Review has a piece saying, a ragtag group of political extremists has somehow managed to convince the leadership of the Democratic Party that the ailing Biden presidency really needs is an acrimonious standoff over spending. These radicals have managed to make it seem as if the blame for the standoff lies not with their own feet, but with those who they have routinely harassed. If the Democrats wish to avoid a further collapse in their fortunes, they must snap out of this reverie and call their browbeaters bluff. They're talking, of course, about the progressives who are saying that there are two options, go big or go home. Now, when it gets down to it, is uh, Pramila Jayapal going to do that? Is AOC going to do that? Are they going to be responsible for blowing this up when they finally got control of both the White House and both houses of Congress, even with these extraordinarily uh, tight margins? There is an extraordinary amount of space, says National Review, between doing nothing at all and engaging in the largest spending binge since the New Deal on a panicked party line vote. And I agree. There's a lot of room for compromise. There's a huge friggin' amount of money. The idea that you do a compromise is, shouldn't be a dirty word. But look, I guess you know they want to go to the brink. But as this drags on and on and on, the chances of getting nothing go up and up and up. All right, number four, you may have heard that George W. Bush doesn't do a whole lot of political events these days. A former president will hold a fundraising event for Congresswoman Liz Cheney. According to a source, this will be next month uh, in Bush's home state of Texas. Wall Street Journal first reported that. Obviously, she's the daughter of Bush's former vice president. But that creates this sort of cage match between President Bush and President Trump. Uh, so President Trump, obviously, former President Trump, trying to knock off Liz Cheney. He's endorsed her GOP primary challenger, Harriet Hagman, uh, as one of a, several endorsements that he's doing, and he's going to campaign for her, and he wants Liz Cheney out. Liz, of course, had been knocked out of the House leadership for the uh, heresy of voting to impeach Donald Trump, talking about it, and now she's on the January 6th committee. All right. In the interest of equal time, here's what Trump said in one of his latest statements to the press. Rhino, former President George W. Bush, and his flunky Karl Rove, are endorsing warmongering and very low polling Liz Cheney. Bush is the one who got us into the quicksand of the Middle East, 
And after spending trillions of dollars and killing nearly a million people, the Middle East was left in worse shape after 21 years than it was when he started his stupidity. It ended with Biden's most embarrassing in history withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay, so what Trump is saying here is, I ran against Bush uh, on Iraq. That's true. I don't like Bush. Uh, Bush is awful. Liz Cheney is awful. Dick Cheney was awful. But it's just so fascinating to call George O. Bush a rhino, Republican in name only. It used to be shorthand for a squishy Republican, one who was too moderate for the conservatives. When George W. Bush was elected president in 2000 and again in 2004, he was the Republican Party. His father had been a Republican president. He was a Republican president. He was a mainstream Republican president. So now, I think what Trump is really saying here is, you're a rhino. You're not a real Republican unless you're a Trump Republican. You know, this is not just going after him. I mean, it's no secret that George W. Bush didn't vote for Trump, didn't campaign for him, would go to the convention. But now he's being called a rhino. Also, the Woodward book talks about, I mentioned this yesterday, Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee, two conservative Republican senators, very strong Trump allies, who looked at the evidence after the 2020 election and said, I don't think so. You can't prove there was widespread voter fraud. Here's Trump fighting back. I spent virtually no time with Senators Mike Lee of Utah or Lindsey Graham of South Carolina talking about the 2020 presidential election or as is viewed by many, the crime of the century. Lindsey and Mike should be ashamed of themselves for not putting up the fight necessary to win. Look at the facts coming out in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and other states. Um, Go on to say that the Biden mistakes would not have happened, destroying our country. Mike Lee, Lindsey Graham, and all the other Republicans who were unwilling to fight for the presidency of the United States. We are losing our country. Okay, so now he's turning on the guy who was probably his best friend in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, played golf all the time, still in constant touch with him, turning on Mike Lee because they wouldn't put their political muscle behind these unproven claims that Trump continues to make, that the election was stolen, that the election was rigged, um, because even though they still view themselves as supporting Trump on policy, they won't embrace this. So now, who's allowed in the Republican Party? If Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee, according to Donald J. Trump, have to be ashamed of themselves, that's really something. I'm going to come back to that in a future podcast. But I want to get to number five, which is the missing white women syndrome. You all know it. It's been a mainstay of cable news for decades. I can remember when cable news went crazy. This is, what, 15 years ago now? Natalie Holloway, missing white woman. And then there was this whole series of others, either white women who were later found murdered. And each case, which is basically a local news story, became a national news story because cable found that it raided. And they would, they would hit after it on and on and on and make these great crime mysteries. Jean Benet Ramsey, you, you, you know some of the names, the Scott Peterson uh, murder, and on and on and on. It kind of vanished pretty much during the Trump years because we had so much other news to cover. Now in the Biden administration, it's back. It's back in this awful Gabby Petito case. She went missing. TV went crazy. The internet went crazy. Social media went crazy. Her missing boyfriend is, I don't don't want to say suspect, but person of interest. Hasn't been charged with anything. And there's a story in the Washington Post today that says, and many, many, many people have made this point, 
okay, what about the untold numbers of missing black women, of murdered black women? Why do they not get the attention on, during these cable news spasms when these cases become, everybody's talking about it? Uh, interviews a, uh, a woman um, from Newnan, Georgia, Kimberly Bryant. Uh, her sister, Tiffany Foster, has been missing for months. And she says, it does make you feel, what about us? When are we going to get her face out nationally? When are we going to get the FBI to come in and help us out? We didn't get that. And I'm asking my mom, well, why? And it's no answers. We have a lot of questions with no answers. So this story recounts how Gabby Petito, since she went missing during that cross-country trip with her fiancé, um, stories captured not just national but international attention. It dominates TikTok, social media, round-the-clock national coverage. And look, it then becomes this sort of cycle because the FBI and other law enforcement agents get devote more resources to it because it's such a hot media issue. Then it's because it's, uh, the FBI are, are more involved in a high-profile way, it becomes an even hotter media issue. But as this story points out, and then tragically, as I'm sure you know, the body of this 22-year-old woman was discovered, I guess it was this past Sunday, at Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And just what an awful thing for her family. You know, I'm not saying we should ignore these things, but they're basically local stories. Why does one get uh, coverage? You know, and, and the answer is because a lot of women in certain demographics watch cable news and the stories rape. And then according to this post story, just in the state of Wyoming, the state where Gabby Petito went missing and was later found dead between 2011 and 2020, what is described as at least 710 indigenous people were reported missing in Wyoming. You haven't heard about those cases because the media doesn't go crazy over those cases. And again, uh, I understand these are human interest dramas. I understand why people are interested in them, but make no mistake, it's, it's a conscious decision by the media, not just cable news. To, and then it reaches the point where it's such a cultural phenomenon that, new, that national newspapers cover it, national magazines, and so forth. It's a conscious decision to play up these stories because these stories uh, can be exploited, tragedy TV, uh, for big numbers. And there's just something deeply unsettling about that. Sorry to end on such a serious topic, but I think it's an important one. I don't think this story is going away. And I think now there's starting to be questions asked, maybe that weren't asked in the early 2000s, which is, or weren't asked as vociferously, which is, why is there such a disparity in the coverage? Well, hope you have a great day. Always appreciate your listening. You know, if you go to your Amazon device, you can get this there, the one that begins with A, or on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify, or Apple iTunes. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow with more Buzzfeed. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.